You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Quick update from me before we get started. Just got back from Canmore, Alberta, where I finished my apprentice hiking guide certification with the Association of Canadian Mountain Guides. It was a great course, uh, something I should have done a long time ago. Um, Post-COVID, I'm I'm focusing on advancing some of my certifications. Uh, Between that and and work, I've I've got a lot on my plate. I do want to keep producing episodes, um, but I will need help to, to keep the conversation going. If you want to join an episode or you know anyone who would be great, then please reach out and, and let me know. On that, I wanted to thank Dave Turnier and Jay Darby for putting me in touch with this episode and next episode's guests. And in addition, I also wanted to thank Jacob, Drew, and Alex for their donations. I cannot stress enough how helpful it is in keeping this podcast going. If you want to make a donation via PayPal, you can find a link in the show notes. Now, without any further delay, I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 86 of Frontlines. I'm joined by Justin Martin. He's the executive director of the Gitchi Gumi. Did I pronounce that right? <laughs> yep. Good, good. You you sound like a local who everybody mispronounces it. So it's, it's right on. You're right on. <laughs> yes, it's, it's the Cogs, as it's more commonly known, but cyclists of the, the Gitchi Gumi shores. And uh, he's uh, out in Duluth, Minnesota. Hey, Justin, thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm uh, currently looking out on the uh, St. Louis River estuary through a little sliver in our our second story uh, bedroom. And uh, yeah, it's great to be on here and connecting with other uh, uh, advocates. So let's uh, let's begin by just you kind of giving a a little bit of a backstory of COGS. Uh, How long has the organization been around for? What's kind of uh, the trails that they manage, uh, the area that they're in, that type of thing? Sure. Cogs, uh, the cyclists of Gichigumi Shores, has been around since uh, the early to mid 1990s. The the organization really uh, began to uh, take on structure in the early 2000s, and it had already been incorporated as a nonprofit. Of uh, it, began to take on structure and develop a vision for an entire citywide uh, mountain bike trail system known as the Duluth Traverse that would connect several different uh, localities throughout throughout the city with a uh, green level mountain bike spine multi-use trail. And so how long have you been involved with the organization? I've been involved with COGS for approximately 15 years. I moved to Duluth in 2007 and had been had always had a love for mountain biking, had done some races in, in, in my uh, early years and really fell back in love with the sport after moving to Duluth. And I moved specifically for the outdoor scene, outdoor recreation, mountain biking. And it was uh, it was good timing. Cogs was really getting going on opening up some new systems and developing organization around uh, laying out trails. And so I, I jumped right in and made a bunch of friends. And, and you know, I I I di- I discovered uh, Moab went out there for my first time and came back and said, wow, this is awesome. We could have something like that. Similar, of course, nothing quite like Moab in, in Duluth, Minnesota, but we have amazing terrain. And so I got, I got to work with a handful of others and uh, we began working on a very popular uh, system here in Duluth called the Piedmont Brewer Trail Cluster. It's really approximately 15, 20 miles of natural featured. It's a natural featured bike playground. We've rebuilt the system four times from start to finish and we have finally reached uh we feel perfection and so that's a great feeling very cool yeah i haven't uh, i haven't ridden there it is on the list but i i have ridden kind of in the the lake superior area and so i i do know the potential for the amount of rock and just really cool terrain features that are in that part of uh part of north america so i i uh i imagine you've got uh, some very diverse trails but uh, also some very technical trails yeah, we the the Mission Creek Trail system is is uh, 
an area of very, very smooth, your t- very classic, typical flow trail um, where, you know, you can get on a hardtail and just crank. I love going there on my hardtail. It is just, it's an absolute blast. And you can just crank out the miles and kind of go into a Zen state of flowing through uh, the, this, you know, uh, uh, mature for- forest. And in the middle of town, uh, we have uh, downhill uh, a gravity downhill park, uh, very grassroots, uh, um, user grown gravity park. And then, it, and then it moves across town, across, um, lots of bedrock and through neighborhoods and backyards. And, um, you can just about anywhere in Duluth, you can be on, uh, on a multi-use bike hiking trail within a mile and a half to two miles. And, uh, and so it was, uh, last episode's, uh, guest, Dave Turnier, who kind of, uh, recommended I, I reach out to you because you guys have gone through a, a new, uh, or a renaming process in the Mission Creek area. Um, tell us a, a little bit about that and, and how it came to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, several years ago, um, several years ago and, and throughout the, the development of the entire trail system, Minnesota has, um, some very, uh, very strict laws and for good reason, um, that when you're you're laying down infrastructure, you need to incorporate uh, tribal input and um, make sure that no sacred sites or historically significant sites are disturbed in the process. So, uh, as part of laying out our our 120 mile system, um, we worked with uh, the local and state agencies and our local uh, tribal um, partners. Uh, to identify any culturally specific um, or historical or historically specific uh, areas so that we wouldn't disturb them. Um, so that that, you know, and, and that meant going out into the woods with elders and um, making sure, you know, really making sure that we're not disturbing anything that, you know, there could be uh, spiritually significant sites that are, are currently not active or being used by individuals, but that doesn't mean they go away. Um, so we've, we identified several of those areas and we made sure to keep the, uh, mountain bike trail away from, from anything that was of importance to the local Ojibwe folks. And then that later on, after we developed the, the Mission Creek trail system, built that out, which is approximately 25 miles or so of flow trail through a mature forest. We, as a result of a, a previous board chair, um, in an individual initiative of, some um, locals and um, invested uh, mountain bikers really saw fit to start uh, naming some of the trails through that forest and wanted to work with our local tribal partners to develop Ojibwe names for the actual trails and incorporate that into the trail maps. What what excites me about that is is it, it broadens our storytelling of the people in our area. So anytime you can include uh different cultural groups and the names it it opens up everybody's eyes to that there is another cultural group here and bringing in the language there's uh the language of that cultural group um there's currently and there has been for many years but uh there currently right now there's a resurgent and and an interest and a drive from the ojibwe community to save the ojibwe language and keep it from going extinct um, we're one generation away from losing the language. So there's a lot of young folks out there working tirelessly to save the language and document the language. And so incorporating that into our trail systems, uh, we haven't seen a lot of that, the incorporation of language into our community. There's, there has been some with the Native American Rights Commission with the city of Duluth. But it's been small. So this is this is COG saying that we're going to take the individual initiative as an organization and using our influence and some of the privileges that we are given as a as as primarily a a Caucasian privileged uh, user group that we would be able to help bring this uh, culture to the forefront of our our community. Walk me through a little bit about um 
you know, what kind of came first, you know, like it, it was this trail network fully developed when, when it was kind of, uh, when the, the naming was taken on, did these trails have existing names prior to, to them being renamed? Um, how does that, that renaming happen? Like kind of maybe even kind of walk through some of the, the names that you have. We, we rolled out the trail system. Gosh, it's, it's been, it's been almost, 10 years and we built it very quickly <laughs> and we built it so fast that uh we didn't even come up with names for a lot of the trails so actually on the maps we and, you know naming naming can be a bit of a challenge you get people that start arguing over what the name should be <laughs> of trails it was literally on our map we had a trail and it was pretty long it was like a few miles long and the name on the map was no name trail <laughs> <laughs> so we and we developed we de- developed a number of other names in um hansi johnson who was uh our local regional um imba rep and has, has been very involved in the outdoor recreation as a leader yeah we've actually had him on the show too i can't remember uh what episode that was but he has joined the, the podcast at one point. yeah he's fantastic so he did a lot of names we had uh we had one trail's name is loki the other one is uh you know Know, upper cathedral st louis river road lower cathedral and and this is a mature forest and in, in some places some very old growth large pines and so it does have the it's a really neat it's a it's a neat forest and it's not like the rest of the city and so what we did and what they did um because i didn't have a lot of involvement in it myself um, but Patrick and Whalen and a few others, they uh, began reaching out to the local tribe and developed this partnership with uh, Ricky Defoe, um, who's a local elder. And they asked him if he'd be willing to come in and help help come up with some names for the trails. So the trail. So he what what they also did is was really cool. They they had some footage um, of the trails and brought brought the elders that were involved through the trail via via GoPro footage because the elders oh, cool. couldn't get out there. <laughs> Some of our, tra- I mean, these are, these are pretty, for the most part, fairly easy trails. There's, there's some, but the elders weren't able to get out there. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, they gave, they showed them some go, go, uh, GoPro footage and brought them through the entire trail system. Yeah, so that was really cool. the The cool cool thing for me was to come back, come in on this. We did a Native Report episode on the naming um, with Waylon and and uh, Patrick, and they talked about the whole process and uh, and and so to be able to go and hang out with Ricky Defoe and then speak some Ojibwe with him, he was he was so happy and excited and felt so honored and and spoke to how important that maybe this this may seem trivial that it's just the name but it honors the relationship and role models what naming and renaming and the revitalization of culture and language could look like and he he said it this is this is a role model for what other agencies and organizations could do and that kind of gave us goosebumps because we were we just want to do the right thing and we want to we want to enrich the the story of outdoor recreation and provide equal access and equity to everybody involved and part of that is making people feel helping people feel more comfortable um out on the trails yeah that's great so i i'm just gonna look up some of the the names I, my my Ojibwe isn't uh, proficient enough to just uh, come up with all these names. Um, <laughs> uh, so we we have we have one of one of the names we just we called Indigenous Lands, and I actually I'm looking on Trail Forks and I don't see the um, I don't see the Anishinaabe names on here. So it looks like we've got a little more work to do. 
So <laughs> I'm glad, you know, you know, I was wondering about that too, because I was actually looking that up as well. And I was, uh, I was curious uh, if they were added in a, in the comments or something, but uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to see. Yeah. So it looks like, you know, this is one of the things, you know, when you're a local and in local advocacy and, and working on these things, you never go on trail work to look at uh, trail forks to look yeah. at your own trails. So it's like, yeah. oh yeah, this is cool. <laughs> we got to come on here and, and update these. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure we've got them somewhere, but the, you know, that's the thing with advocacy in these projects, you know, is getting through the finer details and making, <laughs> there's so much work to do on all Absolutely. this stuff. I'm curious as to, uh, you know, what, um, where the names come from and, and that kind of thing, you know, sure. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's, an, it's certainly, I find it a very interesting project, but I, just from the sense of, uh, how to make this happen in other communities too, I think I, I'm probably not alone and, and, curious to really how you got how you went through this process and how these names if they're related if they're unrelated that kind of thing yeah so so what um the process of it is what ricky did with us is we had some we had some names and so so what i think the best process is i think when you go to develop a trail system I have a background in, in social work and a master's degree in social work and have worked with tribal agencies on a variety of different things and have worked in diversity and inclusion prior to coming into the mountain biking world professionally. The best practice would be to, as you're going to roll out a system and you're in the development phase, the first thing to do would be to include your tribal partners from the very get-go. And sometimes that can be kind of tricky because they've got full plates. They may not want, they may not have the capacity to, you know, work with mountain bikes. In other cases, there may be some elders and individuals that would love and, and, and feel that, that it's important to work and partner with local organizations. And Ricky really did. He put, he put, uh, he put a lot of priority into working with us. So I think that, the really the best practice would be to as you're going to, as you're developing and you're in the vision, visioning phases to reach out to your local tribal tribal representatives if there is a tribe in the area and it's not even on their technical reservation uh, boundaries it would still be very appropriate to um, reach out to those that tribal group and ask if they would like to be involved in the visioning and yes that's that's an added layer to something that's already can be very cumbersome, but it can also be really, really rewarding too. So involving, involving your tribal representatives in the very beginning, but even if you don't catch that right away, involving them in the naming and, and doing a little research on what the protocols are for asking an elder to come in and work with you. Really an, an elder should be, should be paid. They should be, it's professional work. They have a, in, in Ojibwe culture, we pay, the elders get paid for the work. They've been on this, this, uh, they've been on this earth for a long time. And they know a lot of things and that's a, that's valued. And along with getting paid elders, you, you should be giving in, and this is pretty cross culture as far as different travel groups, you should be providing gifts, and this is this is a way to symbolize the working relationship in Ojibwe cultures. Mino Bamadizin is the good road, and the good road, or in a good way, leading these initiatives in a good way. And and the way you do that in Ojibwe culture is through the act of giving a gift. And the gift that's given to elders is is a sema, which is which is tobacco. And that's, a, that's considered to be a medicine, a spiritual medicine. And it's honored in just about every uh, tribal group in, in our part of the globe. And I don't know, I don't know beyond our, you know, our global area. So, but for here, it's, it, and, and, and along with that, you can offer, you know, offer another, another medicine, uh, Gijik, which is cedar. Uh, sweetgrass, and I don't know the Ojibwe name for sweetgrass, but these are some of the medicines that you can give, and and it's very typical to also give a gift of cloth. And depending on the status of the elder and what you as an organization have um, available to you, your financial means. So if you're if you're well off and the elder is of high status, you want to give a nicer gift. And oftentimes these things are 
overlooked or misunderstood. In our area, Ojibwe people are very polite and very kind. And that's that's pretty typical for um, most First Nation folks. And so they will, they'll still work with you because they may think you don't understand their customs. But if you can provide these gifts and do these things, it will increase the joy and the fervor and the enthusiasm. It's like going, it's like going to a good friend and giving them a big hug before you're going to work on something with them. So these things really go a long way. So, and, and sometimes there's some other things like, so we gave, um, I came in a late on this project and I was my first time interacting with Ricky and I know some of these protocols. I went out and I spent my own money and I bought a variety of different things that I thought would represent the working relationship. I bought a, Ricky a really nice walking stick and it may not be appropriate for me to be discussing these gifts, uh, but I think in this context it is mm. so that your listeners will learn about this. Normally you don't talk about gifts that you're giving and whatnot. Um, So yeah, that, that's kind of the, that's one step of the process. (laughs) And then the actual naming of the trails, really what you want to do is get out of the way, be a passive observer. You're here with elders are held in very high regard. And the way I try to look at it when uh, Coco comes down from Canada, (laughs) you know, uh, my significant other's grandma, uh, and I I screw stuff up all the time. I mean, I'm like always doing cultural four pot, you know, and they're so gracious with me. But, uh, you know, you kind of got to think of it like the president's coming through. And how would you treat the president? I mean, it it really is hard for us to grasp that people from um, ethnic, and I don't know what your ethnic background is. I'm kind of jumping to some conclusions here, but um, you know, the Northern European ethnic background, it's kind of, these things are kind of hard for us to grasp, but absolutely, it, yeah. Yeah. It goes, it goes a really long way in, in establishing a good working relationship with tribal partners. So the actual, like, so when you go into naming your, you kind of maybe will pitch a few ideas um, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you, you know, and it, and really you want, you want to try to foster a relationship where you're encouraging them to, you know, it's like they're giving you a gift and you're, Mm. you know, I kind of look at it as like, I'm a little kid here and they're going to give me a gift. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to be very kind and patient and I'm, I'm going to be very quiet because I'm preparing myself for a gift from, Elders are considered to be spiritual beings. They're yeah. close to the life after this. And so this is kind of how you want to, and I, I screw this up all the time. I'm telling you, I'm like, you know, but they're so, they're so gracious. I'll like come into a room and, you know, I'm uh, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, my significant other, Lucia, she's like, has to like, tell me you know, she like what you can't see me right now but i'm doing like a bring your volume down uh <laughs> like and then i have to like kind of go hide in the corner and then i you know it's like you know those kind of things but you really want to foster uh like the end of the elder is giving you a gift yeah. um you're not doing them a service yeah and 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 i think it's easy for us to think well we're giving them a chance to name their trails no 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 yeah. Yeah. This is their land. Yeah. This is their treaty land. Yeah. And we're, we're in a state, uh, you know, we're land back is a real thing. These treaties were not honored. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, we're, you know, I would long-term, I would love to see the Fond du Lac tribal, um, group get, take over mission Creek. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing a lot of that, like tribal groups investing in outdoor recreation now, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah. So, yeah, That's a rabbit hole for you. Oh yeah. I mean, we're, we're here. I'm, I'm in British Columbia up in Canada. And, and so, you know, we're a lot of similar situations here and, and, you know, very different uh, indigenous people as well. And so the traditions are, are different and, you know, it's one of those things where I think um, it's very easy for us to kind of put a blanket of like, Oh, these are 
all indigenous people, but it's, these are very different nations and communities yeah. and, and yeah. languages and, yeah. and all this stuff. And, and um, but what, what I find really interesting is it's this, this one phrase that gets, has been used so often and it's been, it's been used in other discussions in this podcast. One of my f- very good friend and, and one of my favorite guests to have on the show, Patrick Lucas, and he kind of brought this up as well. And, and some other folks have discussed it, but you know, developing relationships in a good way. And, and that, that term, which, which I absolutely love and, and that relationship building is key for, for us here, um, you know, with the, the local indigenous group, uh, or one of the local indigenous groups here is the Tsleil-Waututh and, and, you know, with our local trail or my local trail association that I'm on the board of, you know, we want a relationship, right? We, mm-hmm. and, and this is that colonial mindset of like partnership and relationships and you go in and you give and you take and you give and you take. And, and that is, you know, how a European relationship works. Right. And, and some of the, the best advice that we had gotten from Patrick on how to approach this was just go in there and, and just try to develop a relationship. It's, it's not about wanting anything. You're not going to get anything. You, you like, this isn't, don't go in there with any hope that you're going to get this trail network or this or that or anything and, and just start having a relationship. And, you know, we, we went in there and we did some bike camps for the kids. We fixed up bikes uh, for the kids as well. And, you know, this is going on, you know, four years ago, potentially five years ago, even. And it wasn't until about this year that uh, I've actually had a chance to to get into the the community and onto the reserve to work with some of the kids and and build trails uh, in their neighborhood and and they're fully in charge of it. So I just go there and ask what they want to do and you know say like what what don't you like on this trail and how can we fix it that kind of thing and and it's been great. I've been doing that for the last couple of months. I actually uh, right after this conversation, I'm going to head back out there for for one more session. But it 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 took a lot of time. And, and I think in a lot of respects, we as advocates understand that things take time, um, you know, when it comes to like working with land managers and, and raising funds and, and actually putting shovels into the ground. But this is a different type of, of time scale. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it is relationship driven and it takes time that, that you don't have these checklists or these, you know, this process that, uh, that we have when we kind of work with a city or a municipality or, or something like that. It leads back into the, um, the story of Edmund Ely, mm-hmm. where he, he went into the local community as, as a missionary and he had his checklists. And it didn't work well for him. Yeah. <laughs> they let his animals out. You know, it's like, you know, he, in his journals, I read them. He said, yeah. oh, they keep letting my animals out. You know, it's like, well, that's their, that's their polite way of saying, get out of here. <laughs> we, oh. don't want you, we don't want what you're selling. But Ojibwe people were very, um, very interested in Christianity. Yeah. Um, when it showed up here and they wanted to learn about it and they saw a lot of um, there's at least there's a lot of books on this. And yeah. the, initially they were very interested in um, the Europeans and how they were able to achieve all the things they could and wanted to have a give and take relationship. And that's how it was for actually a very long time. But then throughout the course of history, it has taken a drastic turn when the you know, the, the, the natural resources started drying up with the trapping mm-hmm. and, and all that. Then we, then we saw, then we saw a whole, not, that's when the genocidal things kind of came in. Yeah. So yeah, these, these relate, it's a totally different way of being and interacting. Um, and I think it's, I think it's some good lessons for when as advocates, when we are interacting with land managers and cities, it's not to this, it's very different. But at the same time, when you're interacting with a bureaucracy, everything related to a bureaucracy is about relationships and trust and fostering communication. And when you start to when they start to get a feeling that you're moving in a different direction, then the doors start closing. And if you continue to move in that direction, the doors will close and then the the relationship begins to become uh, more adversarial less yeah. partnering because the trust isn't there. Yeah. And I think what, what folks what folks don't realize, the average rider and folks that are maybe coming onto the scene f- for the first time, they don't realize how much time and energy and, and trust in, that needs to get established to get trails on the ground and get yeah. shovels, shovels in the dirt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I feel like my, for lack of a better term, I feel like I've gotten better in my colonial relationships through learning so yeah. much too, where uh, working with, you know, colonial land managers and, and, and just approaching them from a relationship forward, mm-hmm. really first kind of mindset of, um, you know, I, I had a chance through, uh, through the pandemic to, to work just on the fringes with a, a, a group that, um, uh, they're looking to get another disc golf course, uh, in our municipality. And, and I, as a hobby, I, I enjoy disc golf and, and I was very adamant with the, the gentleman who was kind of in charge of the, the organization that like, I'm, I, my plate's full. I can't, you know, and I know how this will go. I'll get involved a little bit and then suddenly I'll be on your board of directors and, and I'll just have another. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, but I, but I care very much about this. And so I'm going to be yeah. the best, you know, average citizen you've ever had. Uh, I'm going to be what I would love that everybody would do, which is email and bring my kid out and photo ops. And, and, you know, I, that's what I look for in, in the mountain bike community. And so I can do that for you. And, and we've jumped on a number of phone calls and, and one of things that I kind of recommended was like, just go out there and, and ask if, if you can organize a day in which you pull invasive species and just not even, you know, it doesn't even have to be in the same park that the disc golf course is there just in a park, you know, and just go out there and say like, Hey, we want to do this. we got a bunch of people that are eager to kind of help and, and what can we do type of thing. And, and, and don't, don't go in there with the demand of like, we want another disc golf course. Um, yep. and, and it's been amazing to kind of see, and things have been developing at this one course. And, and, you know, I think, you know, in a couple of years, we'll probably have an, another course somewhere and, and, but it's, it just takes that time. And so it's, it's really neat to kind of see an example of the lessons that I've learned in advocacy, not only be applied for another project, but to be applied for an, another recreational activity, which is, which is great as well. I think, you know, just because we're mountain bike advocates doesn't mean that, uh, that advocacy is advocacy, I think in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it, and it's a, it's a, it can be a challenge for organizations and I think business people with the business mindset and mm-hmm. wanting to quanti- quantify. Oh, so from our end, we, you know, that we just, I'm the first executive director. I, I started last July wanting to quantify because it's fundraised dollars to pay paid positions, wanting yeah. to quantify what you're doing, wanting to hit measures and metrics. And, and that is extremely hard to do. <laughs> it's a, it, and to me, it feels very natural because it's mm-hmm. very similar to um, when I was a social worker at a local county agency, it's nearly impossible to quantify. And that we would feel the same pressure wanting to quantify what we are doing as as social workers, you know, the budget's getting slashed and what do you need to, you know, how are you, who are you getting off of services and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And I think it's a very natural, natural thing to do with capitalism and, and how our society is structured. But it, it, in advocacy, it can be, it, you can be working on something for years and may be making little headway, what you, what you think looks like little headway. And then all of a sudden next week, a door opens and your system is, your you know the right doors have opened the right connections have have come together and it it seems like and and maybe maybe I'm a little off here but sometimes it seems a little like is this magic here sometimes <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's like the timing's right and then all of a sudden here we go you know yeah. there's not like a you don't you don't get out a, a there's some there's some guidelines behind and I think Imba has some great guidelines and. Um, we recently attended a foundation's workshop with Imba, which was really fantastic. And this is the general framework. What works here in Bentonville may not work mm. elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But here's a general framework on how to go about making these ha- things happen. Find the storytellers, find your your driver, your project drivers, find your, you know, and, and so from, I think, a executive director, a part-time executive director is going out and mining the membership base and the individuals involved looking for people to help advocate for outdoor recreation and natural trail trail use. So mm-hmm. what's the community's reaction to this, this naming project um, the we, community we, and, and the, the other, you know, the surrounding community as well. Uh, Waylon and I, um, Instead of Columbus Day, we, we wanted to recognize Indigenous Indigenous Day, and uh, so we we put a 
we put a Facebook post up on Indigenous Day of Indian, you know, the trail Indigenous land. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people have been very supportive and excited. We thought there would be some potential blowback. Yeah. Um, just with the, you know, the, the state of the country and some of these are hot topic, yeah. you know, whether you believe it's right or not, that's just the reality is that is what it is, whether you believe it's it. So we were like, okay, there might be, this could be, this could, this could, you know, get some excitement going. And we were like, maybe, you know, but we wanted it to be a conversation. Everybody was supportive. Mm -hmm. If anybody was negative, they're not saying anything. Yeah. And I'm sure there was a few people that went, rah, rah, you know, you know, um, but it was, it was kept to themselves. And we've, we've had open support from all entities all user groups um people think it's really cool i highly doubt anybody would say anything i'm out on, i'm out doing at trail work and 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 involved in my job and i'm speaking a you know ojibwe to my three-year-old daughter so i'm probably not going to get you know probably not going to hear anything about it if there were negative reactions but <laughs> yet by and large i we didn't hear anything everybody was super supportive so that was really really cool What's uh what's next on the horizon for Cogs and and yourself? I think um, what what Cogs what Cogs is looking at what we're we're struggling with, and I think this is a good good space to talk about these things. And I because I know Cogs is not alone. So we're 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 um, we're at a place. Our organization is at a place where we're coming off of. We created this monumental vision, uh, and it was it was before anybody else was really doing this where we have a, uh, you know, trails closer to home, a, a green spine that connects the whole city, which really had a, a significant impact on the, on the city's culture and the way it viewed itself. Um, well, we're, so that created a lot of excitement and people gave of themselves to the end of the earth. I, and, and including myself uh, for 15 years, I mean, even when I had, you know, I had my my three year old, and uh, we our our in laws were in town, and I'm like, can I go get on the excavator and help Rudy build a trail? Mm -hmm. Like, but during my maternity my paternity leave, you know, it's like uh, we're doing we're doing professional level work for free trail building, um, putting in two three hundred hours, and that that does there's there's been plenty of other people that regularly put in 30 hours a week year round you know we're we're talking anywhere from a half a dozen to a dozen people that are putting in part-time to near full-time work on a on a regular very consistent and regular basis well the trails are here now and people want to ride their bikes and you know so we're grappling with how do we have this same level of involvement and which is causing some folks in our membership base to say we don't want a paid executive director. Mm. We think it's a waste of money or whatever. And by and large, that's not the case. But those comments on surveys and whatnot stick to people. Yeah. And and that's a so there's an expectation from the community and the ridership and the membership base that COGS is going to continue to perform at the level it has been performing but the people that were putting in all those times all that time and energy yeah are now having children yeah and it's not possible for board board members yeah. <laughs> that have little kids to be putting in yeah. even five to ten hours a week totally, totally and and i think i think that's what we're really grappling with but we're uncomfortable with yeah you know turning you know, getting full-time paid positions. Yeah. Well, you should be building more trail. Yeah. <laughs> but we need someone to coordinate who takes care of the trail and continues. What's our next step with COGS? Right now, this last fall, we had an amazing gala committee. Um, and, and we came up with our new slogan is Trails for All. So we were having some unpleasant encounters um, from... I'm just going to say it entitled mountain bikers that believe mountain bikers built all these trails. Cogs built all these trails. Well, we probably have a $5 million system and Cogs has raised a substantial amount of money over 10 years, probably close to a million dollars, but by and large it's public funding yeah. and it's taxpayer dollars yeah. going into the system. Yeah. And no mountain biker should be telling a hiker that they shouldn't be on the trail or giving dog walkers dirty looks or having 
blowing people off the trail, uh, that that sense of entitlement um, is we're really shooting ourselves in the foot <laughs> when that type of stuff's going on. Absolutely. So we came up with the term trails for all. And the idea is we want trails for everybody and we want everybody to feel comfortable on the trails. We also want trails for advanced riders too, mm -hmm. because sometimes when these networks come up, um, there's such a small sliver of advanced trails. And so there is concern around that too. So the, the slogan is trails for all. And, and we're really working hard to get some bike playgrounds and some skill development area uh, areas put into place. And some of that's kind of hard because it's not really laid out in our master plan. And, and folks are like, well, you've built 120 miles of trail. You don't need anything else, Yeah. <laughs> but we want, we need the infrastructure to get people into, into the sport itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those are the big, big things that we're grappling with. And I know we're not alone. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. I, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm surprised to hear you say that uh, the executive director role is, is relatively new and, and that it is actually still a part-time. I mean, the, the, I know with the traverse, like that project, was huge and just you know just from what i see on on social media of the organization you know i i got the feeling that uh, there must have been somebody there getting paid full time to kind of do this and that's obviously my my bias and perspective of knowing what it's like to run a trail organization and knowing that paid staff are so critical it's it's almost though that like you know, you get these superstar volunteers and it, it almost does kind of hurt you in the end because people just assume yes. that, that that's just something that is, you're always going to have. And it's just, you can't, yep. I mean, I'm, I, you know, my son's five. I, I totally get what it's like to, to try to juggle these things and be a parent at the same time. But I don't think it's fair for anybody, whether they've got kids or, you know, anybody yeah. in their life, I think, you know, the same way with, you know, what we were talking about with the elders, right? This is, this is, there's a knowledge set there and, and paying people for their time, I think is really important, especially now that, yeah. and I'm, I'm sure that it's the same happening in the States as well. But the big conversation here in Canada right now is, you know, we are in what, what really just looks like a major recession. And, and even yeah. our federal government is one of their, you know, official pieces of advice is to recommend everybody just, you know, get an extra job, maybe 10 hours a week, kind of, <laughs> which I hate to tell them I've got a few extra jobs already. So I don't really know if I've got more space for that, but you know, it, it, just asking people to simply volunteer their time is, is just not, not there. And, you know, I, I, I encourage anybody who's listening right now that is maybe getting some of that feedback or pushback from their community, just kind of push ahead and, and plow through because honestly, the staff pay for themselves uh, and then some is kind of what I've always found. And, and especially full-time staff too. I think, I think sometimes um, you, you just let somebody go with it and you'll find that extra 20 hours a week is going to, you know, make up for so much financially, just the amount of money that they can find and gain and all sorts of things. So, yeah. And, 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 you know, sticking to the hourly allotment mm -hmm. uh, is a bit of a challenge because you do feel the social pressures, you know, you're working alongside of volunteers yeah. and they're, you know, when it gets to the point where they're running themselves into the ground yeah, and from a clinic, a, a, a cl clinical, I have, I have a background in clinical mental health it's not healthy. No. And, and the signs of burnout, you know, what did we talk about burnout? What does burnout really look like? Burnout means I'm, I'm waking up in the middle of the night for unknown reasons. Sometimes I have increased anxiety. So I have racing thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, I wake up in the morning at uh, five 30 in the morning thinking about work. Um, I can't stop thinking about work. Um, and these are the, these are the signs of burnout. So what does burnout actually look like in, in over time that those behavior patterns then lead to negative, negative thought patterns, negative views towards friends, family, organizations, disturbed sleep then leads to kind of that negative thinking. And you see that, and I've seen that in, as when someone gets burned out, they're crusty, yeah. you know, they're not in, and they're not, they're not fun to be around. Um, and you feel bad for them. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to kind of climb out of that hole. So, um, you know, trying to place, you know, the value around having paid staff for advocacy work, it's, it can be a tough pill for, for folks to swallow, yeah. but yeah, it definitely, 
it definitely needs <laughs> it's a much needed thing in our world yeah. for sure well and you'll see these organizations that uh you know where you kind of you go knocking and it seems like the lights are just off and it's you know it's just on yes. that that three-year span where just you know people people were gone i i remember talking to a, an organization in florida and I, I phoned, I managed to get the, the phone number of the president and, uh, and I called and I said, Hey, I've, I'm looking for, you know, somebody at such and such organization. And, and, uh, this guy said, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I guess that's me. And I was uh, okay. Like I was confused <laughs> and, uh, he's like, yeah, I was kind of, I was biking in this parking lot and I asked this guy like, you know, Oh, you're with the organization. What's the deal? And I, you know, he kind of just made me the president at, at, at that time. Kind of like, a, it's like a hot potato, right? <laughs> just tag your it. <laughs> Don't let us. Yeah. yeah. And just, you know, picked away probably and uh, never looked back. So, you know, we don't want, that's not, that's not yeah. planning by any means. And so we don't want that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it, it takes money to get good things. And, and we see that in trail work. It's funny how we kind of value, you know, paying trail builders and, and that kind of thing, but we don't necessarily see the value in, in the administrative side of things. And, uh, yeah, it's a hard, it can be a hard pill to swallow for a lot of, a lot of folks, the devaluing of the soft skills, that are so essential and we're kind of a rough and tumble group. I, I, I like to think, you know, we're out digging in the dirt. And so we really value that hard work and um, you know, the softer skills aren't, well, you just got to go in and you just got to tell them how it is. And if you're not doing that, then, then that's, that's how the world works. You just go in and you tell people what, how, how things are done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, no, it's, it's, you're not going to get very far by doing that. Yeah. Um, you're, yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting time for our sport, I think yeah. right now and the development of organizations and what it actually means to be a nonprofit organization. We're registered as nonprofits and that is stewardship to the community, yeah. not just yeah. mountain bikers. We, we're moving from club orientation to where we build trails that we like to now we're a nonprofit receiving government funding and taxpayer dollars. So that can be hard for the elitists and the advanced. Like I love ripping hard trail. That's I mean I I'm a gnarlier the better. Um, I I I'll go out and pedal all my all day long on the DT, but it's not my it's not what I wake up in the morning to do. But the reality is, the majority of the people riding in and getting outside are using that green level DT yeah. versus the trails that I like to yeah. ride. So awesome, yeah, cool. Well, so how can how can folks uh, have a look at at Cogs? Um, what's uh, what's kind of the, some of the the links? What's the social media? What's the uh, what's the website? Oh yeah, the stuff I'm I'm probably not so good at the the marketing end of things. Uh, so we have we have uh, Cogs. Oh, is it Cogs.org or Cogs.com? I've got it up right here. Just it, it, the, Cogs. <laughs> Cogs. Uh, Cogs.com is you can go there. You can check out all of our trails. We've we've been kind of known to if you drop us a line, uh, one of our board members or myself will kind of. I don't want this to get out there, but we'll kind of roll the red carpet out for you if we can and bring you on tours and take you around. We love showing people the city of Duluth. You know, it's the weather's kind of hard here, and uh, um, but we're very proud of our system, and we love to show it to people. And uh, people think they want to live here, and then they spend a winter here, and then they usually, they don't, you know, they're out. You know, so it's, there's a lot of rain, a lot of bugs, uh, but when the weather is great, there is, there's, I mean, it's just, we have a catchphrase in, in Duluth called perfect Duluth days. Mm -hmm. And on a beautiful day, um, you know, riding the trails through, through Duluth and the forest it is just remarkable. The views are amazing. Um, you can check us out on, on Facebook too. Just search cogs. We love engagement from, from people outside of the area. We love chatting about bikes. We love chatting about our systems. We love sharing knowledge. Um, so we, we love those Facebook messages and the emails from folks. Um, so we, we love mountain biking and we do, we do love community building. So 
yeah, that's that's uh, that's Cogs in a nutshell. What we've been working on and where we're going, and and some of the struggles, and and you know some of the some of the great things about our trails here are that we've got we've got trails for every rider type. Mm-hmm. Um, we might be lacking a little bit on the very very white you know beginner trails, but we even have some of those in the Spirit Mountain area. There's a gravity uh, lift serve park that is it's a blast. Um, and it's a grassroots, our, our trails are very grassroots mixed with, you know, the public, public dollars, which built in the, the, the machine built trails and, and a lot of fundraise money. So we, we really capitalize on, on the terrain we have, which is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. If you're ever, if you're ever coming through the area, we'll, we'll, we'll take you out. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly on the, the bucket list. I, I drove through, I used to live, uh, in Southern Ontario and I drove through on a, on a family vacation and, uh, it was, it was peak summer, you know, so right, probably the best time to be there. And, uh, it just, what blew me away was just, yeah, I think there was people, uh, at the time it was windsurfing. It's probably, uh, kiteboarding is a little, probably the more popular thing, but just lots of people out is, uh, is what kind of blew my mind yeah. as we, as we cruise through town. So Justin, thanks so much for, for taking the time to, to chat about this. It's been a great conversation and uh, it's great to kind of hear what's going on. All right. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having us on and letting us uh, share our, our message and, and our vision. This episode of the podcast was recorded on the traditional territory of the Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, Musqueam, and Stolo nations. My guests joined me on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and the Ocheti Shakowin. If you're curious to learn more about the traditional territory that you occupy and recreate on, then visit native-lands.ca. Big thanks to my guest, Justin Martins. And once again, thank you to Jacob, Drew, and Alex for supporting the show via PayPal. Don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find that link in the show notes. In the show notes, you'll also find links to the cyclists of the Gitche Shores, Next episode, I'll be joined by Paul Perot. He's the Director of Operations for Bike Cochrane out in Cochrane, Alberta. Looking beyond that, something that was discussed and alluded to not only in this episode, but so many of the past episodes is burnout. With all that's going on in the world, I think more of us than ever are feeling the pressures, and especially when we offer so much of our time as volunteer work or we're working for a nonprofit for what could be less than what we make in other industries or, or sectors, burnout is, is very real for us bike advocates. It's a topic I'd like to dive into in future episodes. So if you or someone you know would be interested, please let me know. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at FrontlinesMTB. You can also join the Facebook group at Advocates on the Frontlines of MTB. And you can send me an email or audio file to info at frontlinesmtb.com. You can stream the show on Mountain Bike Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you haven't done so already, leave a review on wherever you get the show. It helps others find the podcast. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevere. Production notes by Jennifer Pride. Artwork is created by Brandon Gallagher-Watson and BGW Creative. And a big thanks to Ben Walnack and the team at Mountain Bike Radio for their continued support. Now, I'd like to dedicate uh, this episode to, to Monica Craver since last episode she passed away. Uh, she's been one of my biggest inspirations for getting involved politically. And if it wasn't for her, I, I wouldn't be doing what I am today. So thank you. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and happy trails.